wound up room and this uh, painting uh, was taken off of a photograph really Don Enright of Seattle did it in oil for us uh, when we opened up this room and uh, the uh, two fellows up here uh, this guy is from uh, Atlanta and this guy is from San Diego uh, we call them Mavericks and um, you know they hard to keep Gail Jackson and Winston Parker and uh, well, this theologian that's going to be with us this weekend as a part of the team. So we're always chasing them out of uh, the aspen trees, trying to get them down with the rest of us. This is you and me right down here, just following along. Uh, I've been uh, assigned the topic for tonight. <laughs> been assigned. Uh, I signed it to myself. Um, where have all the heroes gone? Not many left, are they? We've picked out a few who are multimillionaire basketball players or on the gridiron. Some in show business. Very few left in our nation's capital that we want to model our life after. Even in industry, the fast pace in which it's moving. Don't stay very long at the top. Even in the church. Where have our heroes gone? When I was a little boy, Bobby had to be a part of a scout team. And our leader was Cedric Sears. And uh, he could do no wrong in my eyes. Uh, doesn't sound real good, but I thought it was God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Cedric Sears. And uh, the four of them probably were going to do something with my life. Uh, oh, man. If he said jump, I'd just say Cedric, how high? Or Mr. Sears, I'd never call him Cedric. And then as I got a little older, uh, in Sunday school, junior high and high school, it was Edgar Dival, Mr. Dival. He was senior vice president of Corn's Product Company out of Chicago. And uh, there were five or six, uh, six of us little boys, uh, junior high guys, and we'd sit there in a semicircle, too close to work our spitballs. Uh, and then we'd just look down at his 15-inch feet, huge. Of course, he was about six, 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 eight, and a big understanding. And... Uh, not only Sunday morning, but he had a, well, he had a Packard, and then he had a Cadillac, uh, and he would take us up to Williams Bay, Wisconsin, where they had a summer home, and he'd take us out on the lake in his speedboat, and man, those were good days. And if uh, Mr. Dival said, this is what the Bible says, I didn't care to look it up, I just believed it, because he said it. He was my hero. Someday I wanted to be a businessman like that. Well, got into upper high school and along came Del Nelson. He was my coach. What a wonderful coach he was. 
more than just on the athletic field. Yeah, I studied algebra under him and I took chemistry under him and got the best grades because he wanted to keep me eligible. And, uh, but also off the field. Uh, he did some refereeing and he'd take me along different parts of northern Illinois and he was a friend. Then college days. I have to tell you that because you'd never know I went to college. <laughs> I compacted it into a little less than seven years. And, uh, <laughs> oh man, what a wonderful guy came along and took me, took me by the hand, sometimes by the scuff of my neck. Name was Dick Halverson. Practically lived in our home, but my mother was a good cook and Dick loved to eat. Up until a year ago last December, you knew him probably as the chaplain in the United States Senate. But Dick was my big brother. A hero. If you go up to my office, up in my double wide, why you'd see a pencil sketch of Dick. It meant a lot to me. And of course, Dad. Don't know if you're fortunate enough to have a godly father. When I came into the world, he was a YMCA secretary and then Dean of Men at Biola which was a Bible Institute at that time, and then for some 20-odd years, Dean of Men at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And Dad gave me a love for five things. A love for the soil, a love for trees. Boy, Arbor Day was a big day in our family. A love for horses, a love for people, and a love for God. No wonder I love my dad. Grateful he lived to be 94. Don C. Uh, tells me that according to the insurance tables, why I've got a pretty good chance to keep on going. I'm not counting on it, but uh, if Don C. says it, why it's probably <laughs> at least half truth. <laughs> Do you have any heroes? Do you have anybody that, regardless of your age, that, wow, yeah. Proverbs 20, verse 5, Counsel in the heart of man is like deep waters, and the man of understanding will draw it out. The counsel in a hero, in a mentor, in a spiritual father, is way down there like deep waters. He may put the cookies on the bottom shelf for you. He may give you a, a donut here or there. But if you want the deep waters, you have to draw it out. That means you've got to hang on to his shirt tail. You've got to hang around. Counsel in the heart of a man is like deep waters. The man of understanding will draw it out. And so whether it was Cedric or Mr. Dival, Del Nelson, Dick Coverson, my dad, where have the heroes gone?
Would you turn with me to the 14th chapter of the book of Ezekiel? I'll give you a little time just to find out where that is. It's in the Old Testament. <laughs> it's what we call one of the major prophets. Major because of its length, 48 chapters. It's not easy reading, gentlemen. It's, it's judgment day for Israel. And God says, the clock has struck 12 and you're out. <laughs> I've given you every chance in the world, Israel, and you thumbed your nose at me. You went hoarding after other gods and idols. You perverted what I have given into you and made my name a shame among the heathen. And... Ezekiel had a tough time because he didn't really want to do this. But along with Daniel, who was his buddy, he was sent away over to, there's mountains up in here. Remember the desert storm took place down here and the Tigris came out down here and the Euphrates and they joined down here. And uh, the capital of Babylon was, well, right about in here. And uh, Ezekiel lived right about along in here in a little canal, a little town called Shebar. The canal connected these two mighty rivers, the Titus and Euphrates. These were the days of the Persian Empire. And living about 20, 30 miles north of Babylon, I'm sure many times he would either ride the river down and, or walk down or maybe ride a donkey down to see Daniel and have prayer together and talk about what God was trying to do as he was spanking his own people, the children of Israel. And so our lesson tonight begins with the 14th chapter. And you'll notice right at the very beginning, verse 2, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Ezekiel 14.2. And then in verse 12 again, the word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, look at the first verse of chapter 15, the word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, 49 times, at least in my Bible, my translation, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying. And so... Let's listen to the word of the Lord tonight, shall we? Follow along, whatever translation or paraphrase you might have. I begin with verse 12. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, that's Ezekiel, when the land sinneth against me by transgressing grievously, then will I stretch out my hand upon it and will break the staff of the bread of it and will send famine upon it and will cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men, and here are the heroes, Noah, Daniel, Job, were in it. In what? In the land. Really in the city of Jerusalem. They should deliver only their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. If I cause evil beasts to pass through the land and they spoil it, so that it be desolate that no man may pass through because of the beasts. Though these three men were in it as I live, saith the Lord God. They will deliver neither sons nor daughters. They only shall be delivered. The land 
shall be desolate. Or if I bring a sword upon that land and say, Sword, go through the land so that it cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men were in it as I live. And you know how long God's going to live, huh? <laughs> now, we're talking about eternity. Though I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered themselves. Or, this is the fourth one, if I send a pestilence into the land and pour out my fury upon it in blood to cut off from it man and beast, though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it. As I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall deliver only their own souls by their righteousness. Thus saith the Lord God, how much more when I send my four severe judgments upon Jerusalem. And here they are, the sword, the famine, the evil beast, the pestilence, to cut off from it man and beast. Yet, behold, it shall, there shall be left a remnant. Praise God for that, huh? That's grace. That's his mercy. In this case, it could be just Noah, Daniel, Job. Both sons and daughters, behold, they shall come forth unto you and you shall see their way and their doings and ye shall be comforted concerning the evil that I have brought upon Jerusalem even concerning all that I have brought upon it. You notice we are to observe their way and their doing. What caused God in his mercy to take three men in his sovereignty and say let's take a look at Noah. Let's take a look at Daniel. Let's take a look at Job. And they shall comfort you when you see their ways and their doings. And ye shall know that I have not done without cause all that I have done in it, saith the Lord God. Thus reading end of the chapter and our reading of the word of God. Two weeks ago, one of my heroes went to be with the Lord. And all of our nation mourned. I was privileged to be in Beijing, China when it happened. I was interested in what the Chinese government official mag uh, newspaper had to say. Nothing but the highest words of recommendation. Even they recognized that this was a hero. Not only because of the hat he wore, but the life he lived. And Tom Landry was one of my heroes. I guess it goes back to the giant days. And then, of course, those great days with the cowboys. And if you know anything about the fellowship of Christian athletes, my privilege to serve on two boards with him. He wasn't a close friend, but I observed him from afar and many times. And sometimes had the privilege of sitting across the table and having a meal. And knowing some of the heartaches that he went through. You see, sometimes we get the idea those guys don't have any problems. <laughs> All is strawberry and cream and roses. But oh, I can remember 
the weeks and the months and the years that his daughter, married daughter, had cancer. And he'd ask for prayer. And you could just see it wearing upon this man. The heartache when he was dumped as the coach of the Cowboys and a new regime took over. And he took it like a man. I never heard one word of bitterness or anger or putting down anybody. He accepted it as the will of God. Where have our Tom Landry's gone? Where has your heroes gone? Or have you ever had one? I'd like to mention five things that I read here in verses 12 through 23 that I believe are principles that God would have for us as we take a look at Noah, Daniel, and Job. Principle number one, national sins bring national judgments. God says if a nation sins, they will pay the penalty. Winston had us read out of the sixth chapter of Galatians. And whatsoever we sow, we will reap. We've seen it to other countries. And if you know anything about church history, if you know anything about secular history, you know that very few civilizations have lasted more than a few hundred years. And yet in his grace, here we are from 1776 to the year 2000. How much longer, Lord? How much longer are you going to give to us? National sins must be paid for. Principle number two that I see in this portion of scripture is that God does have a variety of sore judgments. He mentions war and famine, evil beasts and pestilence. We see it today, not only in Africa, but we see AIDS in our own country. We see the battle in California for same-sex marriaging. Half of marriages never stay together. And God has a way of speaking of his holiness. And he is not going to let man touch that which is holy. Principle number three. God always has a few good men. <laughs> Long before the Marine Corps came along, God had his men. We're going to look at three of them tonight. But I want to tell you that this is one of the purposes of this retreat, to challenge you to be one of God's men. I don't know what the price is going to be. There's going to be a price. There's a cost factor. There's a cross to bear. There's a discipline to be involved. Do you want it? For your son? 
for your neighbors, for your wife, for those that you work with in your church. Number four is a principle here. Even the best of men, Noah, Daniel, Job, when sin has reached its summit, cannot prevail. We serve a sovereign God who is love, who is mercy, who is gracious, but he is also holy. But there needs to be these men who stand up and put their finger in the dike. Oh, how I love to read the lives of men like John Wesley when he and his brother Charles finally at Aldergate realized that they were sinful men and needed a savior. And they went out into the highways and byways of England and that's where the name Methodism came from, the Methodist, because of their methods. The organized church had no place for them with their music and the gospel of the cross. And you must repent. You must turn to God. Revival. God has a few good men. And we could just go down through history. There are men like that. And then number five. Even in the greatest of desolations, and that was here in the 14th chapter of Ezekiel, God reserves a remnant as a monument of his mercy. Verses 22 and 23. Behold, there shall be left a remnant. And we should see it and watch their ways and their doings. Let's take a look at these three fellows. And if you have a piece of paper, why don't you up across the top so you can make a list. Over here on the one side, put down the name Noah. For you guys in the insurance business, that's spelled N-O-A-H. Very simple. Well, this is the weekend, and I know you guys are not working, so I'm just trying to help you out. Then in the middle, write the name of Daniel. Yeah, D-A-N-I-E-L. <laughs> and then over on the other side, write the name Job. And under Noah, write Genesis 6-9. And now let's look, look at it, shall we? Genesis 6. Maybe I should have given you verse 8. I don't know, gentlemen, why God chose these three. I wouldn't have. I would have chose Abraham, probably Moses, Joshua. There's others in the Bible that I... And there's nothing in the scripture that indicates why in his divine wisdom and perfectness he selected these three fellows. It was because they were righteous men. But why these three, we don't know. But let's take a look. And this is one of the reasons 
Genesis 6-8. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And the preceding verses is a very dark picture. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man cometh. It was miserable. Then verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Put under his name, Genesis 6, 8, and 9. Under Daniel, put Daniel 1, verses 4 and 8. Let's turn to it, shall we? Just a few pages over from Ezekiel here. Evidently, Daniel and his three buddies had uh, come out of prominence in uh, Jerusalem. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so verse 4 talks about these four young men, probably in their teens or early 20s. Prime young fellows. Listen to what their capabilities were. Youth in whom was no blemish but well favored, skillful in all wisdom, gifted in knowledge, understanding science, such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and in whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And then verse 8, and you know this one, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's food, nor with the wine which they drank. Wherefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. God laid upon the hearts of the leadership to grant Daniel and his buddies, that request. Now, how about Job? Let's turn to the book of Job and under his name write Job 1.1. The first chapter of the book of Job and verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz... U-Z. <laughs> Where was Uz? Well, it was probably someplace south and west of the Dead Sea, out there in what today is desert, but in those days evidently excellent farm country. He lived in the land of Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was perfect, mature, godly, and upright. One that feared the Lord and hated evil. And it goes on to tell about they're having a birthday for one of his ten children. And he was so concerned that maybe something had happened at that party where sin had taken place in word or in deed or in thought that he would sacrifice an animal and ask for forgiveness. He was the high priest of his home. You are of your home. It's your responsibility as a dad, as a father, to take the spiritual lead. And Job did. Did it for all ten of his children. I'm sure when there's a party for Mrs. Job, they did it. And for himself. That was the kind of man he was. 
And that's why he's talked about in Ezekiel 14, 14. Now, let's go back under Noah. He preached for 40 years as he was building the ark. This is not mythology. <laughs> this is not just Jewish folklore. This is fact. There was actually an ark. And there was actually <laughs> the bringing in of male and female of each animal. The boat was a football field in length, a little over 300 feet long and proportionally as wide. And for 40 years, as he and his sons were building this huge vessel, he was telling the people, repent and turn to God. If you want to be saved from that which God is going to do, get into the ark with me. For 40 years, no one listened. They laughed, they scoffed, they ridiculed, they made fun of him. Forty years. Now, underneath the name of Daniel, write 70 years administrator in government. One was a preacher of righteousness. So one lived the righteousness in high places in the principal city of Persia. He was probably someplace in his 80s or maybe 90s when he found. We often think of him being thrown into the lion's den as a young guy. He was probably my age when that happened, toward the end of his life. And then how about Job? 60 years at least he was a rancher. And then it all came unglued. He was a wealthy prince in the desert. So that's a little of the background of these three fellows. Under Noah, right, he saved his family. Three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and bless Pat, their wives. <laughs> Known nothing about them and his wife. That's all after 40 years of preaching. But he saved his family. Daniel had no family. Probably a eunuch. Probably early on, either while still in Jerusalem or when they got over to Babylon, he and his buddies, they were castrated as we call it in ranching terms. Reproductive organs were cut off, and uh, that's what a eunuch is. And that was a designation of total commitment to whoever was the master. And so he, uh, here he is, alone. And then under Job, he lost his family. You know, it's one thing to lose your portfolio, huh? To lose your business, to lose your job. But boy, it's tough to lose your family. Your sweetheart, in this case, didn't. I don't know whether he even thought maybe she should, because she's the one that said, why don't you curse God and die? But <laughs> maybe God left that thorn in the flesh around just to keep him humble while he was going through it all. 
but he lost it all. Under Noah, he lived in what we call the antediluvian period of history, before the flood. Diluvian means the flood. So it was before and right after. Daniel lived in the Bat Babylonian captivity. How about Job? We don't know for sure, but probably about 4,000 years ago. Probably the time of Abram or before that even. It's probably the first book of the Bible. And it's located in the section with the rest of the poetry books. But it was probably before Genesis, but way back then, in the early days. And that comes out of archaeological discovery, the names of geographical places, the names of some of the people that uh, were so-called friends and so forth. Uh, no one knows for sure. The Bible doesn't tell you, but that was probably when he lived. So you've got two that lived way back there in history. Then you've got Daniel who lived about four or five hundred years before Christ. And these are these three fellows. Wow. Noah, Daniel, and Job. That's all I'm going to say about them tonight. You can study more. And maybe you can come up and give me a good idea on why these three are mentioned. But I want to finish off tonight with my personal application of why God chose these three men at this time of history for our study tonight as we kick off this conference, okay? Now, some of this is personal and it may not apply to you, but uh, I'll trust the Holy Spirit to do his work in your heart. Let's take Noah first of all. I believe he's here in this 14th verse of the 14th chapter because he wants to speak to Bob Foster about being faithful on the long haul regardless of results. And as businessmen, we don't like that. Huh? We always are reminded of the bottom line over there on the right-hand side. The profit and loss. And we can have some negative figures for a few years. But for 40 years? The long haul. Doesn't seem possible that I've been here at the ranch for 40 years. Half of my life. Never dreamed when I was in my 30s had the little family plumbing business in downtown L.A. on North Hoover that I'd ever end up in the Colorado Rockies. Far, far from my imagination. But God in his sovereignty brought some men into my life. Those men moved to Colorado Springs, to Glenary. They invited me to come back and meet with them, come to some conferences, their leader died, Dawson Troutman. I came back to see what I could do to help out in a little way. And while I was here, I thought, you know, guest ranching is something that we could do. My wife was given to hospitality. 
had four children and figured if I couldn't hire staff, I could get my four kids to be slaves. <laughs> Fortunately, three of them were boys. That was 1960. We took over, first year was, this is our 40th year of operation. Are you interested in the long haul? Most of us, you know, yeah, 100-yard sprint, I can do that. 5Ks, 10Ks, 23Ks? Man, I just don't have the lung capacity. I don't even have the desire. Marathons. And here you are, and some of you boys and some of you collegiate age, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and you look at the guy up there with gray hair, wonder, wow, you mean I have to live that long? <laughs> Do I have to look like that? <laughs> you know, the Apostle Paul, the last uh, book he probably wrote was Second Timothy. And in the fourth chapter, Oh, I don't know, maybe six, seven verses down in the fourth chapter. I can just see it in my Bible down there. He said, I have fought a good fight. That's good, huh? I've kept the, I have kept the faith. Didn't deviate from this theological anchorage. But I have finished the course. I have finished didn't stagger across the line. Nobody helped him particularly. I have finished the race that the Lord set before me. I hear a lot of fellows say to me, Bob, I want to finish well. I do too. I don't want to just walk across or have crutches and somehow or other you know, God takes me to glory and I'm just about, whoo, you know. And uh, I got some of that sin back there I wish that I hadn't committed and, and all the rest of that baggage, you know. Yeah, I want to finish well. But there's another way I want to finish. And it's the way Paul finished. Would you turn with me to the 20th chapter of the book of Acts? And he tells us, and he told the Ephesian elders, this is the way I want to come down and breast the tape of life. And gentlemen, you can do it. If this guy up here can do it. And I'm not through yet. Man, as some of you know, I'm getting married in about a month's time. Second, I've never been married, you know, at the age of 80. <laughs> You remember there was a song back in the 60s called Puppy Love? Paul Anker? Now, some of you don't even remember in the 1960s. <laughs> well, anyway. I'm going to give it a second time around. I was married the first time, 53, and it was so good, I'm going to try it again. I haven't, I haven't told her it's going to be 53 years, but, uh, you know, 
uh, my kids said, uh, Dad, have you kissed her? And I said, yeah, I did. Well, what'd you think? I said, well, man, that was worth doing some more. <laughs> so they, they thought, well, maybe Dad is in love, you know. <laughs> How did we get off onto that? <laughs> that certainly isn't in the 20th chapter of Acts. No, I'll leave that Song of Solomon to the heavyweights. They can handle that one. <laughs> okay. They did not want him to do this, to go to Jerusalem. They knew what was ahead of him, and he knew. And so he says in verse 22 of Acts 20, I go bound in the Spirit. Isn't that a great way of expressing it? The Holy Spirit would not let him go. There was a compulsion there was a drive. There was, I must. I've got to do it. Not knowing the things that shall befall me, except that the Holy Spirit witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. The word was out among the Jewish leadership. If that character ever comes back to the holy city, we're going to clean his clock. And he knew it. And yet he still went. None of these things move me, verse 24. Neither count I my life dear to myself. And gentlemen, most of us do, huh? Probably the dearest thing you have, even more than your wife and your children and your business and all the rest, is your own life. We love it. We cherish it. We take care of it. We protect it. And he said, I don't. Why? so that I might finish my course, how? With joy. Oh, so many of my peers today, down in Florida where I'll be this next week with my kids, or down in Green Valley or wherever, and I'm not, that's, if that's where they want to be for their retirement, okay. But so many of them are bitter, and they're sour on life, and they're critical, not only of Washington, D.C., but of just the way that the ball has bounced for them, the way the dice has come up and it hasn't been favorable, the hand that they have been dealt, and there isn't a winner there. So they play cards, and they drink, and they talk. I don't want to be like that. I want to finish my life how? With joy! Not just happiness. I wished I, could, I, I wished I could die with a smile on my face. God may not grant it. It may be pain. There may be agony. There may be distress. But I'll tell you in my heart, I'm going to finish with joy. Because that's the heart of the Christian life. And that's what the world out there that is looking for reality See, Jesus said, the thief cometh but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I'm come that you might have life. And how? That life more abundant. The abundant life. And fellas, plan now. Don't wait another 10, 
20, 30 years, but start right now to plan to finish your race with joy. Tell your wife that's the way you're going to finish. But if you're going to finish that way, you've got to start. I was 48. I attended a men's conference over in Michigan. And I wrote in my Bible, not the same Bible I have here, I'd show it to you, but I wrote in my Bible in the flyleaf. I plan, I plan to be a 70-year man. And if by God's grace he gives me 80, I will praise him. I wrote that in 1969. I want to finish well. I want to be like Noah. He was faithful for the long haul. Now let's take a look at Daniel. If Noah was faithful for all those years, even nobody else listened to him, he hung in there. He walked with God. Daniel was faithful in solitude, alone. We can all put the smile on when we're a bunch of guys like this. You know, we can yuck it up. We can put on, you know, the facade that, man, you know, everything is Jake. You know, I got it made by the tail on the downhill grade. But how about it when you're all alone in the corporate life? How about it at night? Even though your wife may be sleeping next to you, in your heart, you feel alone. Now I know Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always. You're never alone. He's always with you. But there are times when physically, like Daniel, no one was with him in those latter years of his life. When he opened up the windows and prayed to heaven, the enemy was watching him. And I don't think he said, Dear Jesus, dear God, dear Jehovah, I know they're watching me, so I just want to be real quiet. Almighty God, I know that thou art the ruler of heaven and earth. And there is no God like you. You alone are king of kings and lord of lords. And the enemy was listening. He wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't ashamed. I can have in my memory packet Romans 1.16. Ooh, how about that? <laughs> In my memory packet. But do I have Romans 1.16 down in here? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Faithfulness and solitude. When Marion passed away almost four years ago, three things. Just before, this was probably maybe a month, I knew she had Alzheimer. I knew she was going, and so I, maybe it's lack of faith, but I prayed, Lord, you take her. She's ready for heaven. <laughs> I'll miss her, but you take her. But there's three things that I, I put in my heart. Number one, don't let me miss the period of grieving. I don't know how long it's going to take. 
but I'm the kind of guy that doesn't want to do that. But I know I needed it. So don't let me miss out on that period of life after my sweetheart goes home. Number two, don't let me become a dirty old man. Keep me clean sex-wise. Don't let me oogle at women. That's what Job says. You know, don't let my mind be filled with the things of this world and myself. And then number three, give me something in these last years of my life that will bring glory to your name. I don't know what it is. And I want to tell you, these last four years have not been easy. Even though I live here at the ranch and we have an average of 100 guests a week, we have a staff of 50 or 60, and some of my family live up here with me. And you go home at night and there's no one to talk to. And you're invited to a party and you have no one to take unless my daughter Jana goes with me. Solitude is not easy, huh? Loneliness is very real. And I want to tell you, you guys, if you've got an elderly father or mother, make sure you take care of them and love them. Call them and write to them. One of the joys of being a child. Faithfulness in solitude. But I want to tell you, these last four years have been the best years of my life spiritually. Because I've had more time just to get into the book. And more time just to spend in prayer. And when you're five years as a caretaker to your sweetheart, And you had to, I had to dress her and undress her. Thank goodness she was still able to take care of herself as far as elimination. I didn't have to diaper her and all that. I had to feed her. I had just to be with her. And then all of a sudden, solitude. Can you be faithful? Some of you guys are not married. Are you faithful? Alone? And then we look at Job. If Noah was faithful on the long haul and Daniel was faithful in solitude, how about Job? Well, you know the story. I don't need to rehearse it to you if you don't read it. Faithfulness under the fire, in the fire. Under trial not knowing why it had happened. This is not the place nor the hour, but I want to give you the confidence that God has allowed me to go through some deep waters. I know what it stand, means to stand before the bankruptcy referee in the courthouse of Colorado Springs and for them to take my home, our home, and close the bank accounts. I know what it means to have a son who got into the drug scene 
and hid away in a little cabin up just south of Hoosier, or north of Hoosier Pass, south of Breckenridge, on drugs. And to wrap my arms around him with that look in his eyes and say, Danny, I, I love you. I know what it is to have that son who just stood here an hour or so ago in front of you and come up to our home and say, Dad, I'm leaving. And I said, get the tomorrow off? No, Dad, I'm leaving. And I said, where are you going? He said, I'm leaving. This is not for me. And he spun rubber in his Corvette all the way out of the ranch. We never heard from him for over three months. And for five years, as he was flying for the United States Army. He just left Mother and I alone. Not easy, huh? I know nothing of what Job went through. But I've touched just a fringe. And I want to tell you to stay faithful when the bottom drops out. I put together a little booklet at that time. A challenge to men from Job. I think you can pick one up up at the store. But opposite the first day, there's one little devotional for each day of the month. But let me read this to you. I don't know who wrote this, but here it is. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when God yearns with all of his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world should be amazed, watch God's methods. Watch God's ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God can understand. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, how God bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses him. By every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's all about. Where have our heroes gone? Who's going to replace the Tom Landrys? Who's going to step into the shoes of a Dick Hoverson? Here we are. It's your option and mine. And I want to be faithful for the long haul. And I want to finish with joy. I want to be faithful in solitude, even if I have to walk alone. And I want to be faithful as Job was, no matter what the circumstances. May this prepare our hearts for what God has in the next 36 to 48 hours. May our hearts be open to what he has to say. Our Father in heaven, may grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit now abide upon Lost Valley Ranch. Put a hedge 
that please you around this hundred plus men. Lord, we want to be men who walk with you and talk with you and listen to you. And as the fellows open up the word in the, tomorrow and Monday morning, and as we have our discussion groups and as we talk in the cabins and as we walk and back and forth, I want to thank you for the beautiful weather that's been forecast for the weekend. So we can be outside. We can enjoy what you have created here in the valley. But we want God to speak to our hearts. We want to leave this valley and go out these 12 miles or 9 miles of dirt road different than when we came in. Raise up out of this weekend a Noah for the long haul. A Daniel in solitude. A Job under unbelievable trial. And in your name I pray. Amen.